And I didn't feel encouraged by that. I felt, again, it's those Brits, they know how to do it and they're doing such a good job. And they're, they're I just, I, every time I, I would read it and I would think this should be inspiring, um, but it wasn't. I, I just felt like, why can't I get myself to do anything but walk around in circles? Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 98 of Art Juice. This is the art podcast that discusses good topics but with a painfully slow pace at an hour plus per podcast episode. According to a reviewer on Apple Podcasts. But thankfully, we also have some uh, lovely reviews um, like this one. When Chalk and Cheese found art and became podcasting besties, I love the synthesis of differing perspectives that is art juice. Louise and Alice are proof that you can agree to disagree and we are all the richer for it. My brackets, very important in today's world. Not to mention some exceptional guest interviews, inspiring, uplifting, thought-provoking, funny and unapologetically real. This podcast will give you the confidence that you need to be yourself and keep pursuing your art. So wherever you are on the review, we hope that you enjoy listening to us. We're here again for another week and we have got one of those lovely interview guests coming up for you. But before we get into that, what's your week been like? What have you been working on? Because that's how we start every week. Both of us, and we need to say our names, I am Alice Sheridan and I am here with Louise Fletcher. And both of us are working artists, making the work, selling the work, learning how to do all of it as we go along. There is nothing particularly special about us, but we just thought it would be fun to share. So that's why we start with this section, what you've actually been working on this week. Well, I have been combining working on my paintings with also beginning to structure and write the outline for my book. And I've been waking up in the middle of the night thinking, uh, oh, send yourself an email, make a chapter about that. Oh, send yourself an email, make a chapter about that. I think I have found someone to partner with to publish it, which is a big relief because it's taken... Mm. Do you know how you sometimes you have a project and you have so many question marks over it that you're not sure where to begin because mm -hmm. there's so many unanswered things that you just don't even know where to start. And this this publisher that I found, it's a small art book publisher, um, specializing in art books, and they do both publishing where they pay you a royalty and also they help you if you want to publish your own books. And that's the service that I've chosen. And just speaking with someone knowledgeable who said things like well I'd be happy to reach out to Faber and Faber and have a chat with someone I know there just to see where the land lies <clears throat> that was such a relief and um, so that's been exciting and that's given me kind of the impetus to start really thinking because now I have a deadline so I haven't signed any contracts yet but we've agreed roughly when I'm to submit everything by and I said oh yes March 2021 sounds great and then the next day I got this preliminary terms uh, that he sent me which said you deliver everything by the end of March and then we deliver this to you on April or whatever and then you do and then I was like "Ooh, it's real now I really have an actual deadline where people will be waiting for me so I've been um, I'm enjoying the writing which had got I was stalled with I wasn't sure what to say but now it all seems to be flowing and making sense and even though the paintings aren't finished some of them are and a lot of the early process is done so I'm writing about that so yeah writing painting very like the life I would have imagined for myself when I was 15 that I didn't think could be possible is actually what I'm doing now it's amazing isn't it I mean I just think it's so fun how with all these projects all of these things we all you all inevitably hit these little blocks where you get stuck or you don't know what the way forward is or you don't know and then something releases you know it's like the dam breaks or somebody else comes in they have an opinion or you get one nugget of information that's really important and that releases it for you and then you're off again completely the opposite and you don't know where it's going to come from. So the way this happened was you set up this thing in your uh, membership group, which was for small groups of artists to work together on their paintings. And the idea was we should meet and discuss our work and give each other feedback. But my little group 
we ended up the first meeting we had I don't think we really knew what to talk about so we just all kind of said what we were doing and when I mentioned I was had this book idea two of the three people had written books and published books and so they both had advice but one of them said oh I know a publisher you should talk to and she sent me the name and that's how I met this person that I couldn't have known when I signed up when you sent that message out does anyone want to join these groups and I thought yeah that should be good you have you never have any idea when you say yes to something where it's going to lead you to and one thing the publisher uh, said to me when I was chatting to him I said you know I'd like to get this person to write a blurb and I'd like to get this person involved and he said once you get the ball rolling once we start working on it doors will open things will just happen you'll know what to do so don't worry about it now and it's just so true that's what happens you you've got a publisher who believes in law of attraction stuff then (laughs) it sounds like it yeah I I bet he wouldn't say that he didn't look like the type but anyway but isn't that even interesting in itself if he doesn't recognize it coming under those terms but he still recognized that that's the way it happens it doesn't matter what we call these things yeah that that is the way that things happen they just kind of get kick-started and off they go you just you do have to be brave to follow the threads when they come though which is what you're doing it's fantastic so very exciting it is exciting I'm loving it so tell me about your week uh well we have had a very busy week welcoming uh, new members into connected artists which um has been fantastic it's given us a lot of thinking to do I'm so excited about next year and if you are listening on the replay this it is now closed um at the moment again but if you want to sign up for next time we open you can find all the information on my website about that but it's just it's lovely what we 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 did a big membership survey and it was fantastic going through that understanding where members really benefited and some great ideas for what we can take into next year so Again, it's the same thing, really. This is, it's a living, breathing thing that's always developing. And um, I can now bring on more help. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to invite more experts into the group now that we are a bigger group. So, you know, it's it's changed into something very different from what it was when we ver- first started. And But I love the fact that it changes. You know, if nothing changes, we get bored really quickly. So it's a developing, growing thing. And that's what I have been working on this week. Having delivered all of those um, second stage of paintings to the gallery, I have got an empty studio, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's inspired. But this week has been about the membership. So I haven't picked up a paintbrush. There we go. No, actually, that's a lie. I have. I started some little ones. (laughs) I have. I did paint. Since last time we talked then, I think last time we talked, you had some you still hadn't quite finished to give to the gallery. So you did get everything finished to your satisfaction. I did. It was, and it was exciting taking them in. Obviously things are closed. So she is only having some people in by um, appointment, but it was a little bit nerve wracking because I first saw this gallery about three years ago. It's in a very smart part of London. And I thought, oh, I'm taking these things here. What happens if I put them on the wall and they look really not very good? But I went in and to see your work on the wall in that kind of place, spotlit, I was like, you probably shouldn't (laughs) admit to this. They look really good. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) So it was, and then to take more out of the car and see them all together as a group. It's that thing, isn't it, of taking something out of context of the space where you work on it in, you always see it differently. Um, And obviously this is a very uh, different space for me. At some point I've got to go back and and take photos, which I haven't done yet. Um, But yeah, I mean. Yeah, you need lots of really good photos so they can be on your website and just part of your marketing. And I haven't done it, but that was, it was lovely. It was a sense of completion. And now we have new things coming for next year. So we're going to listen now to an interview with Rachel Davis. Before we listen to it, do you want to tell us a little bit more or should we listen to the interview and then 
talk about what we learned from it afterwards. Well, just a brief introduction. So when we had the question, which we keep returning to from Cherry, and it is Cherry, she told me with a CH. So um, when we had the question from Cherry about positive lockdown stories, Alice and I thought of various people that we knew and we've already listened to Faye and Gwyn. And I thought of Rachel because I'd been very inspired, as you'll see in the interview, by the way she handled the whole lockdown period, which she personally found very difficult at the beginning. Mm. And so I invited her to chat and I thought it might be a 10 or 15 minute chat and it ended up being a really meaty conversation. So let's have a listen to it and then we can talk about it afterwards. Hi, Rachel. So nice to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Alice and I have been talking over the last few weeks about positive stories that came out of lockdown. And when we had this idea, we put our heads together about who to invite. And one of the people that came to my mind was you. And when I approached you about it, you told me that was funny because that's not initially what you were feeling like. (laughs) So why don't you tell me about at least the beginning of your lockdown experience and then we can get into what you've achieved since then. Well, it actually does involve you and Alice because when lockdown first started and, you know, we were all feeling the intense reverberations of it, I think I reached out to the two of you and said, if you want, you know, if you want a psychologist to talk about lockdown, you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to talk about it. And the two of you sort of were in more of your like, we're going to handle this. It's going to be okay mode and said, no, no, we've got it covered. We're good. And I remember feeling like, you know, those Brits, they're just, they're more stiff upper lip and we Americans are so, you know, hand wringing and everything's, you know, so awful. And, but I was feeling pretty awful and feeling guilty about feeling awful. I had a solo show that was canceled. I had another show that was, a pretty prestigious venue that I'd been invited to be in with a bunch of artists I really respected that had opened like two weeks before and was every day was like, you know, restricting more and more access. So what was going to be a very big opportunity for me was evaporating. Um, And I had sent out a newsletter announcing all these good things on March 10th. And then on March 14th, I had to send another one out and, you know, and my classes were canceled. So I was all full of feeling badly for myself. And again, my life was pretty good. So I was feeling badly about feeling bad in the midst of everything that was going on. Um, And as things progressed, people started doing the artist support pledge, remember? And um, people really started selling a lot. And I didn't feel encouraged by that. I felt, again, it's those Brits. They know how to do it and they're doing such a good job. And they're, they're, I just, I, every time I, I would read it and I would think this should be inspiring, um, but it wasn't. I, I just felt like, why can't I get myself to do anything but walk around in circles? And then somebody in my building at the ICB building where I work, this wonderful collective um, that's got a bunch of artists in it, she did a virtual open studio. This was in April, I think. Mm-hmm. And I called her to find out how it went. And she told me that she had had only, I think, 30 people come through over the course of two days. But her name's Darcy Sears. She's a wonderful sculptor. Uh, but she had made, I think, 15 sales. I mean, something insane. Yeah. And something about that that it was in my building on my continent, Um, you know, a format that I kind of knew. She described how happy people were to to see art in any fashion because it was deep lockdown and nothing was open. And I just, that kind of lit a fire under me. I I quickly made a day. I said, okay, May 15th, I'm doing it. And I just sort of like dove in feet first at that point. And I think that was what that, was so inspiring to me was seeing you do that because I know you're not in love with technology. I know you're not like <laughs> you're not the person who goes, oh good, another software to learn, another challenge yeah. to yeah. overcome with technology. It's just like something you have to do. But that's what makes it so inspiring. If it if technology was your favorite thing, then it oh, wouldn't be that impressive that you set up a virtual open studios by yourself. But the fact that it's not, that made it to me really inspiring. And, and you did such a beautiful job with it. I mean, what challenges did you have? 
for, for me, the whole technology art thing is part of the way I know how much art matters to me. You know, because normally in a, in a in an arena that I feel so deeply incompetent, <laughs> you know, I, I I run for the hills like most people. Clearly you know. not. Clearly you're not. But okay, um, feeling. Well, I think it's certainly out the gate. I am. I also do hire a lot of help. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I have to do stuff myself, but I do. I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I am a psychologist, so I do have another source of income. I'm not dependent on on this. So I. I, I sort of make a choice. Like I could spend 10 hours being miserable and, and getting the hang of it, or I could hire somebody to help me. So often I hire somebody to help me. But on the virtual open studio, I just did a ton of practice. I set up fake Zoom meetings, practice Zoom meetings. I went into my studio. I, I really said, do not tell me this is good. Tell me what's wrong with what I'm doing. Tell me what you can't see. And people were very helpful. I mean, people weren't cruel, but people were super helpful and gave me great feedback. So I practiced so many times. I had my son help me put together a keynote. I practiced that a million times, had to like open up the keynote and and close it down. Um, So if I hadn't done a ton of practice, it would not have been nearly as good. Also, once I started feeling better, once I started feeling like I have a deadline, I'm shooting towards something, having energy instead of feeling like garbage felt so good that that was motivating in and of itself. So that encouraged me to go on with it. I did. I also blew things that were great learning experiences. Like I didn't, I didn't want to bother people. I didn't want to like um, bother them with, and you talk about this all the time, you and Alice, that you have to remind people about stuff. People are busy. They don't remember, but I didn't want to be a pest. Yeah. We all did, feel I, that a bit, I think. Yeah, we'll I, a bit like, I did, oh. Exactly, exactly. I didn't want to annoy people by reminding them yet again about my open studio. But the fact of the matter is nobody cares. You know, they might. So I sent something out a week before. Um, and then Alice dropped in on my open studio when I had like an hour and a half left. She said, when did you send out your last reminder? I said, last Saturday. She said, that you should have sent one yesterday and send one out right now. And I, again, I couldn't have done that myself, but my guy who helps me happened to be, I called him, I said, use this picture, here's the Zoom link. And I had, I think, 18 to 20 people come in that last. Wow. In that last hour. Based that on just that. shows you, doesn't it? Yeah. And what I've come to, to tell myself that mostly works is that, because when I get pushy about things, people do unsubscribe. But then I think, well, they weren't really interested. So Exactly. It's well that they're gone and I'm not paying for them on my mailing list anymore. Because once you get, once I got over 2000 people on the list, then I pay every time I have somebody on the list. Oh, wow. And we're all heading up to eventually everyone's, you know, even if you only have a list of 100 now and you're listening to this, you will get up there and then you don't want people on there that you're paying for or who are adding to the amount that you might pay for who are not interested. So if you send out five emails, people who are interested, I've had that from someone recently who was selling something, but I like most things that come from that person. Mm-hmm. I got a bit annoyed. Oh, yeah. Not another one, not another one, but I didn't right. subscribe because I want to keep getting the other stuff. So I just deleted them and waited until it was over. And I think yeah. that's the difference. I do think that that was it, was, it was such a powerful lesson. I mean, when that happened, I mean, it like literally I pushed sand and within seconds, people started coming into the Zoom room. Yeah. It was like really remarkable. So um, this, when I, when I ended up doing the, the latest virtual thing I did, I, I had learned that lesson, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. some people did unsubscribe a few more than usual, but again, I was okay with that at this yeah. point. It's just clearing out the dead wood so there's room for the people who are really interested. There we go. I like the way you're thinking about it. So that then, it feels to me, but I'm looking at this from outside and and even that we've been on here twice together, so people might think we talk every day, but we don't. So (laughs) I'm just observing you through various groups that we're part of. And I Mm -hmm. saw, it felt to me like all of a sudden just things were happening for you. It just felt like you were getting picked for this, that, and the other, and you were just having all these successes. Tell us about, were you, were you submitting more? Were you putting yourself out there more? What, what changed? Trying to think if I was submitting more. The first big thing that happened was the De Young Museum, which is our San Francisco museum. It's a wonderful museum, um, was doing something 
connected to lockdown called the De Young Open, where they put out an open call to all Bay Area artists. Anybody could submit up to two pieces of work for what was going to be a big exhibition. I, at least six, somewhere between six and 10 people I knew said, I, I had heard about it on my own, but all these people said, you know, submit, submit. And I was thinking, there's no way this is going to happen, but what the hell I'll submit. You know, that was, that was my feeling. Yeah. Um, and then what I chose to submit was something that people had told me nobody will buy. That's, that's another thing. I mean, it was one of my, a, a portrait, a, a mixed media photo transfer portrait of a very intense, you know, an intense, heavy kind of, I think beautiful. I loved it. I knew it was powerful, but I had had several people tell me, you know, this is really interesting, but nobody buys stuff like this. But it was one of those, I just, it mattered to me. It was powerful to me. I knew, I felt it was unique. I felt like it was, I'm not a particularly deep, dark person, but sometimes the work I do looks that way. But it spoke to me and I thought it would speak to other people. So I figured, what the hell, I'll throw that up there. And um, I still, I really didn't think, give it a second thought. And then at the end of July, I got this thing in the mail that said, you got in, you know, <laughs> you know, there were, I don't know what, there were 11,000, I think, applic and I think eight or 900, 800 something pieces out of 11,000 pieces. Wow. That was the, the thing. So that was amazing. Cause that's a, I mean, it's one of my favorite museums. So like I have a piece, yeah. I'm going to see it on Sunday and it's, it's hung galleries. I mean, not what's it called. There's a way where like it's packed. But my yeah. friends who've been there already said it's it's my piece is like face level. So I haven't seen it in person yet, but I'm going to see it unless they close things down. And I'll see it this Sunday. Oh, um, that's brilliant. And that same piece was chosen, the same one, but I, I don't remember what the timing was. It was chosen to be the poster child for an international women's show that went international and virtual this year that hadn't been. So again, I was just very glad that I didn't listen to people who said kind of either tone it down or don't do something so personal, you yeah. know, to, that I that just didn't listen. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this wishing you could see it, you can by just clicking on the link wherever you watch cool. it. Thank below you. Below or above the uh, recording. Thank you. I, I did have the feeling like I shouldn't keep submitting it. People will think it's the only good thing I've done. I don't know that I was submitting to more or less, but I was submitting to higher. I mean, I, I would have submitted to Nick's anyway, actually. I'm thinking about it. That's the yeah. art to life. Nicholas Wilton is a Californian artist. People who don't know him and he has um, an annual, I think it's annual now, international online exhibition. And it's prestigious and it's hard to get into and it's selected by a gallerist correct california and um yeah it's not easy to get in they get a lot of entries and most people don't get accepted so to get into that one again kudos you know that's one that i didn't apply to out of fear uh that, oh that okay, really like genuine uh -huh. um should I apply no because I don't feel like I can take a rejection at the moment so I'm not going to and okay. I don't mm -hmm. think it's a good idea not to apply to things out of fear that's not normally me when you say we're all uh, stiff upper lip I'm not sure that that's really true I just think it comes yeah. out in different ways you know you makes total sense yeah we yeah. might hide it more but it's it's definitely affected I haven't applied for anything since lockdown happened. So that's why I suppose why I find it so inspiring and interesting how much you've achieved. Well, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, the, the applying, I got some advice that I probably talked about with you before, but that so helps me with applying that it's this way of like, deeply not personalizing it. It's like that it's not a rejection. It's, it's a mind game, but it works for me. It's that you say, my work didn't get accepted this time. So it takes, it's yeah. sort of like random, you know, and it, it helps me from getting a swelled head when things do get accepted. Um, and it's not me, it's my work. So it's a little bit distant from me. And I've gotten, I mean, I've applied to things where I haven't gotten in, of course, also. And I usually get bummed for very brief periods. Of, I mean, I allow myself to be bummed out about it but not for that long. And I'm always shocked actually at how quickly I forget about it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting so. before lockdown happened, my goal for the year was to apply to 
higher end things than I would normally apply to. And the very first, and that was what I was going to do. And the very first thing I applied to, my painting was selected, but it's exactly what you said that about the de Young show where you said, I forgot about it because I thought it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't even looking at my email on the day of announcements because I'd forgotten because I assumed I wouldn't get in. Right. Whereas in the past, I've been like, oh, it's that day. Go check my emails. Oh, yes, yes, and then yes, you get yes. a rejection and you feel oh, this right. time I saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, that thing opened it up. Oh, that's pleasant. And I, I, it made me wonder at that point, I wonder if there's something to that. If there's something almost to the when you genuinely are not attached to the outcome either way, it, it pans right. out. It pans out. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's just the way it seems. I don't know. I don't know. But it's worth, I mean, it's worth trying it on for size, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think I think the lockdown, the only kind of psychological impact I can see on me really is that I just decided not to do any of that. And I didn't even really give it a lot. It's not like I consciously sat and thought about it, but just, oh, I'm not doing that. I think because it would have meant more and I can't, I just don't want to deal with it. So I'm very admiring that you dealt with it and to get into such a press, I mean, they're all good, but the De Young show in particular, you know, is amazing and opens up doors. I mean, being able to put that on your CV and all of that. Yes, that's been very thrilling. I mean, I still, when I write it down, it's still like, huh, I I write the sentence and I say, that's a true sentence that I just wrote. You know, it's, it still delights me that it's, yeah. it's happening. I still can't quite believe it, but it's getting more, you know, as it, as it accumulates, you think of it as less chancy. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to get a, a swelled head, but you want to sort of build up confidence as you're working. Yeah. Um, so. Yes. Yeah. It's that idea of, um, oh, I'm kind of a proper artist. Like, yes, I, I actually so. am doing, I'm doing the real thing now. <laughs> I guess I am. Yes, it's really, it's really. Actually, I heard something which I really disagreed with, but I'm interested to know what you think. I shouldn't have said that up front, but Grayson Perry, who's a very famous British um, artist, sculpture, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. all round character. He, Mm -hmm. I was watching him on a YouTube video and he said, you are not an artist because you say you are, and you are not an artist because you paint or make things. You are an artist when other people start to recognize you and, you know, give you prizes, put you in exhibitions. And I was like, excuse me, Grayson, I disagree with that. I was yelling. I I disagree with him, too. I disagree. I I wondered what you think, because there is some element of once you, you start to be accepted by gallerists and museums, that's a stamp of approval from people who presumably know what's yeah. good and what isn't well I have a, I have a, um, a particular reaction especially is I guess because I'm a, a feminist artist too I mean I, I'm a feminist and an artist um, that I think so much of recognition has to do with position and power and status and so to say that when the, the powers that be decide you're an artist you're an artist that just gets me really pissed off yeah (laughs) you know so from from that perspective I will say that the first time a stranger bought a piece of my art and this was not a um you know it wasn't getting into a show they just they bought something I think I could have flown home yeah (laughs) I mean it was uniquely thrilling to have that kind of you know, because what I mean, again, I don't think that the people who know me who buy my art are doing it to do me a favor. I don't. But there's always a little part of you say, like, you know, they, you know, they, they want to support me. And that's lovely. I know, exactly. Yeah. Um, I had a little local show, nothing special. And I had some couple of paintings in it. And we had our life drawing classes in the gallery. So we went in for life drawing class. And there was a red dot on one of my paintings. And I was like, oh, my God, nobody had told me. And then I just, I rang everyone I know. Did you go buy my painting? And I rang my mom. I was like, did you buy my painting? And only when I found out that no one I know bought it, I was like, oh, it's a real sale. So I know exactly what you mean. Yes, it was. So that to me felt um, a little bit like a moment of, I I was already calling myself an artist. Um, I guess I, 
I, I probably take a little bit issue with somebody because it seems a little bit highfalutin to me in a certain way to say like, okay, today I'm an artist or to sort of like walk around with that, like yeah. as a title. And I say, so there's some part of that that bothers me, but I don't feel like Grayson gets to decide that when, when it happens. You know, no, that, I agree. That, yeah. So that, that's definitely annoying for me. So here's the question. Yeah. When you get to sell your paintings to somebody who works for one of the highest people in the world, does that make you an artist? <laughs> that was just you tell people what I'm talking about now. That was just insane. And that was again, you you're implicated in this story because I wouldn't have known it wasn't a huge scam if not for that. This was um just a few weeks ago. I was preparing for this um fundraiser that um it's ongoing, but that I was having a live event for. Uh, I was in the middle of those preparations and I got a random email from somebody, came through my website, said he was interested in one of my mixed media paintings. Was it available? Did I, did I um, sell to the UK? And I looked up the name and the name came up as somebody who works for the Queen of England in a fairly high capacity. So my immediate thought was, obviously, this is a scam and it's a very um, inventive scam. That's a very, that's an interesting twist on a scam. But it didn't check any of the scam boxes. There are particular scams that are targeted to artists and it, it, set, it, it checked none of those boxes. So I called him and he was delighted to hear from me. And I said, how, do you, you know, how did you get to me? He said, I'm a big fan of Art Juice <laughs> and I'm a member of Louise's membership group. And I saw you give a, I was a guest in your membership group talking yeah. about a painting that was going to be for sale at the Alzheimer's fundraiser. He said, I saw that painting you did of your mom at the, on the beach. And I said, oh my goodness, that's, you know, I'm having a fundraiser next week. And um, we, we got, we basically were talking at this point, I knew he was for real because he knew me from legitimate ways. It wasn't something weird and he sent me an official you know a notice from his official Buckingham Palace stationery saying I'm sorry you thought it was a scam and um, I wish you the best of luck in your fundraiser Alzheimer's is a horrible disease and um, I, I said oh my goodness that's lovely and he said yes you can use my statement on, for your fundraiser so I right now my my paintings on its way to Windsor which it hasn't arrived yet we're back and forth because it's at a delivery depot, but it's not in his possession yet, but it's happening. On its way to Windsor Castle. Yeah, That's correct. Very nice. That, <laughs> I did take a picture of the package. I did with my name, my return address and that as where it was going to, because that was just, it was such a delightful story. You I know, just it was, thought it was such a cheering up story in totally yes. times when yes. people need something cheery. And it was also, what was also lovely about it was just about art as a great equalizer you know it was just we were talking art and like, like if you care about art that's it really like music is a universal language and so is art it's just a, a place that people connect you know regardless of you know where you are yeah that part of it was uh you know it certainly felt um lovely I mean I think I felt like an artist before but it was delightful just yeah. delightful to have that happen but we haven't talked about the fundraisers. Just as an introduction to everybody listening, Rachel, I've been following for a while, has been working on this series of paintings about her mum and dad when they were younger and glamorous. And she's been working on these paintings and hadn't, I don't think necessarily had a whole plan in mind for them, but has come to a plan, which is perfect. So tell us about that, what, what happened with that series during lockdown. Um, well, I had ju actually just before lockdown, I had come up with this idea of doing a series of paintings. Um, well, I had, I'd been planning the p series, but I'd wanted to like do a show. And it kind of came out of, again, this class that, that Louise and I took with Nicholas Wilton. One of the initial things that he had us do in the class was to visualize a a show in the future, five years in the future, a big New York gallery opening. And the first time I tried to do the exercise, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't think of anything. And the second time I did it, which is when you and I were um, redoing the class together after it was over, I did the exercise again. And I visualized all these paintings of my parents, these colorful paintings of my parents based on these photos 
And it was kind of weird because I don't do that. I think that's kind of woo woo and weird. I don't do, I don't generally do manifesting, but just before lockdown, I said, what if I do it? And then lockdown happened and it was just sort of demoralizing again. And then I just, this idea came to me of let me do it virtual. Let me do a, a virtual event of that. And I, and I did it and it was, um, the live part was, was really quite wonderful. I mean, I talked about my mom, I read, I read a, a memorial of her like before she got lost to Alzheimer's it's kind of, it's, I think it was called the restorative power of art, finding her again, the restorative power of art. And that all came to me as I was working on it. It all kind of came together as part of the work. Um, and, and I had photos of all the finished pieces in process. And I had a fellow artist, which is, again, is actually something I would recommend to other artists. It's a great way to, talk about your work without you having to promote it so much. If somebody else asks you questions about how did you get from point A to point B, I think it's easier to talk about it with excitement if there's somebody else, you know, along the journey. So that worked out really, really well. And, um, and I made prints, I made fine art prints of some of them, and many of them have sold and it's, and it's ongoing, you know, the, uh, I, I need to learn how to make an er- time urgency to, to boost sales, but I'm also allowing people to um, encouraging people to do it, to donate directly to the Alzheimer's association. And it was super meaningful to me. I felt like I got closer to my mom through the fundraiser, you know, cause we had a challenging, you know, wonderful and also challenging relationship. And it, it really feels like I learned a ton about myself and her through yeah. the process. It was really quite something. It, it sort of reminds me of what, you're doing with the Ted Hughes where like you're compelled and don't really know why until the rear view mirror you can't put words to it until after because I I could you many times along the way you said why are you torturing yourself with these you're you're you do a great job on abstract these are very difficult you're like just drop it and I said I can't drop it I just <laughs> I, it, it won't be dropped it will not be dropped so um, yeah. I think it's good to listen to yourself on those things also. If it's calling you that strongly, it's important. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. So it, it, it started off as, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this no matter who says don't. And then the idea for how you're going to market them comes and then you start putting it together. And once again, you've got to come up with a marketing plan and you've got to use the technology and you've got to create web pages or get someone to do it. And all of that, we we know, we all know how tiring and challenging all that is. And you've done it several times over this period. So you've had the fundraiser, you've had two virtual open studios I really? feel like I need, I need the deadlines. I feel like without something to shoot for, it's too easy for me. It's not everybody, but for me, the, the pressure, that external pressure keeps me from sort of like some sinking, not, not me like being miserable sinking, but I just sort of spin if I don't have something I'm, I'm shooting for. Yeah. Um, so what's coming up next for you, Rachel? What are you working on now? Um, I am following up on something you and I talked about um, during the summer, which is this scrappy women project. I wasn't sure if it was going to have juice for me or not. Yeah. So what is that? It's um, a project where I take leftover studio scraps, just sort of things that are hanging around that I've decided were worth keeping, but I didn't know what I was going to do with them yet. And I, um, I use them as backdrops for uh, women artists, for portraits of women artists. I started it just before COVID and then I got derailed and it kept on kind of calling back to me. And what I learned was that I need, I need either to be super interested in the artist's art or their story. And I, lo- I put the word out to everybody I know and people keep sending me suggestions of different people to cover. And I just you know, knowing I was going to be speaking to you today, since I love deadlines, I, I dove into Katie Hessel's podcast, The Great Women Artists. I don't know if you're familiar with that. One. No, I don't. Oh, it's amazing. It's really fabulous. But right. she had another of my favorite artists on named Chantel Joffe, who's an, an incredible figurative artist, super powerful work. And Chantel was talking about somebody I'd never heard of called um, Charlotte Solomon. And I'm, I'm just working on her portrait right now, but I'm passionate about getting the word out about these people that nobody's heard of. And she's, um, Charlotte Solomon has done, she died during the Holocaust. She died at 26 and did a series of 
760 gouache paintings that also had text and music before she died. Sort of instead of committing suicide, she decided to throw herself into art. And it's, I mean, I'll be writing about it more, but it's, um, again, when somebody like that comes across my path, I can't wait to start doing it. I can't wait to start doing the portrait. And I don't know how far it will go. I'm thinking maybe it'll be a book, but maybe it won't. You know, I'll see, I'll, I'll see where it takes me. But for right now, it's got this, it's got this, virtual show for a month and I'm putting them on my website and I'm taking lots of notes and I'll see where else it takes me. Um, oh, it's so exciting. It's excellent. So, and are you still using scraps? I'm still using scraps. I'm still right. using scraps and I'm like for this scrap, since she worked on gouache, I found some random gouache scrap that I had hanging around. Um, and I'm trying to make them relate to the artist without being too contrived, which is sometimes, uh, it's, it's sometimes a challenge. And it's also for me, it's women are silenced and silence themselves. And it sort of connects to the project around my mom. Cause I had, again, knowing I'd be talking to you, I thought of this really powerful memory of growing up and my mom, um, it was my mom and me and a family of four men. And when my mom was talking too much, I guess they thought she was talking too much. People, one of my brothers would say, Esther, you want to shut up? And we would all laugh, all of us, me, my mom, all of us would laugh. And as I've gotten older, I don't think it's funny anymore. And I think women shouldn't shut up and should have a voice and should speak up when they want to. So it's, uh, it's all about that. And the scrap, having them be scraps is part of the point that they're not scraps and we can make scraps beautiful. So that's, that's kind of how I think about it. What I love about it is it's another lovely like full meaty idea that mm -hmm. so was the so was the work with your parents mm -hmm. this is another one where it's got a great concept and it's but it's just emerged hasn't it like when you started the very first one you probably didn't think this is going no to idea. be a series of portraits of no not at all art. not at all i had no idea it was just i think the first one i did was of joan mitchell and it was again on a gouache background and i was demonstrating for this young girl i was on vacation and she wanted to learn how to do portraits and she said show me what to do and i said well you could try this and she was amazing i mean she, she did her own incredible portraits she was already 11 so she was already self-critical but she was incredible uh, that's how yeah. it started you know just sort of a lark and then so after the first one that's making me wonder now so you've done this as a lark you do the first one why did you do a second one because she looked really cool <laughs> she looked really really cool um and it was just again it was charcoal over a random scrap and the difference between the difference between the randomness and the um rendering the face that difference was just artistically was really working I mean, yeah. I could see immediately that it was really working. So, you know, and it was fun. So it's fun and it's working. You want to do what's like, you know, to your point, you want to do it again <laughs> if it feels good. Yeah. And, and it felt good and there was no pressure on me. This was an 11 year old girl I had met one day I'd probably never see again. We were just hanging out on an off day from hiking and it was zero pressure and a ton of fun. So that's, that's what kept me going. And I don't remember how I got the idea. I mean, I'm always in this camp of like elevating women. I'm, that's just always a through line for me. Um, so I think it's bubbling up and ready to be made into something if I pay attention. And I was lucky to be paying attention. Yeah. So, Do you think that's it that often these ideas come and we're just not paying attention? Totally. Yeah, totally. You probably know Big Magic. Have you read? Yeah, um, I have never over? read it, believe it or not. I have watched all of her interviews and TED Talks and I've never read yeah. the book. Well, you probably got most of it, but she talks about, you know, you what is it? What is that something? Uh, the muse has to find you working. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she has a story about um, some books, idea, fully formed idea she had for a book. I think I don't know if it was her or somebody else, but anyway, she just wasn't ready for it. And she met with another friend, another writer, who basically did the exact same book. And it was a very specific book. It wasn't like a book about a woman, generic. It was a very specific book about a specific time and place and angle. And this other, and her feeling was, this is very woo, that like the idea, like the muse came to her, she wasn't home and it kept going and it found somebody else to land with. <laughs> so it's sort of a, 
it's a delightful idea, I think, actually. I think there's also a lot of times that people get an idea and think, oh, but I can't do that. And so it just just disappears again because they feel daunted by it when actually, if you just got started, you don't know what might happen. I think, yes, I think that step, the zero to first step is the biggest step. You know, once, once you're going, you're okay. But like to say, I can't do this too. Well, maybe I can. I think it's, that's why it's good to sneak up on it, not to have the big idea. Like you said, that's too big. You know, if I had come up with this idea, I think I probably would have been too daunted by it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I had this cool shot of Joan Mitchell and she looked very cool and like, what the hell I'll show. And then there you go. There you are. So we're going to wrap up now, but one of the things that really impressed me while I was watching you during lockdown was the fact that you, you were not afraid to go and ask people for help or ask people for support mm-hmm. um, and, and ask people who might seem daunting. And one of the people was, I know for your fundraiser, you had reached out to somebody high up in Hollywood. Right. And you had no, I mean, was that someone that you knew or? Um, it was somebody I vaguely, I mean, that I knew from like 40 plus years ago, you know, that I'd known from a summer. We had hung out together one summer. Um, but my feeling was, and I think this has to do in part with coming to art so late in life, you know, really getting serious, just, I mean, serious and calling myself an artist around age 60. Um, I don't have a lot of time to waste or opportunities to waste. And, you know, I think the very, very, very worst thing that could happen, I mean, and this is so ridiculous and so ludicrous, is that he'd say, I can't believe that person, you know, reached out to me. She's such an idiot that he might say that in his head. You know, that's the very worst thing that can happen. Probably he would just ignore me. You know, that would be the most likely thing. As it happens, he wrote back and said, of course, I remember you. I'm happy to try to help. You know, that's that's how it panned out. But really, what's terrible that can happen? And there's no upside to not trying, you know, and then plus you kick yourself like, well, I guess the upside is like, if I had asked, it would have been wonderful. You could sort of hold on to that fantasy. But I don't know, I think it's just, um, I wouldn't have thought this of myself, because I'm pretty self conscious, I don't want people to think poorly of me. But it just the stakes on the other side seem too high. There's too much to lose by not trying. So I think that's a great point because people often say, you've heard this too, I'm sure, in the groups that we belong to, Uh I'm too old now. I should have started when I was younger. I've wasted all this time. But that can also be a driver. That can, that doesn't have to, you don't have to then pull the covers over your head and go to bed. Well, I think you do both. I mean, I, I know I find that in, when, in my therapy practice, like if, if it's going well, if people are really making progress, there's always a period of mourning for if only I had done it earlier, like imagine what could have been had I started earlier. I think that's normal to go through, but I don't, it's not helpful to stop it there. You know, like leave yourself room to be bummed at, the, at lost opportunity, but then like don't lose more opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> <my feeling>. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. What's the point? And right. I always think, because I'll think, you know, if only I'd done this sooner, imagine all the paintings I could have made. But I'm right. not sure that I had the life experience or, you know, thoughtfulness when I was younger to have made good paintings and I'm not sure that the teachers that I found weren't around at that point to teach so would I have still you know looking back with regret we always look back with regret and imagine the very best scenario that could have unfolded and I missed that (laughs) but actually what might have happened is I might have spent five years making immature bad paintings and then given up that's what might have happened Yeah. And you might have, and I think the truth is we probably did miss opportunities. You know, we would have been better if we were doing it longer because we would have had more time doing it. We would have learned from different mistakes, but what are you going to do? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, we can't undo it. We just, we can't scroll it back. Just move um, forward. Yeah. You know, just move forward without like, just move forward. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. There are losses and let's move forward. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my feel. You don't have to sort of, again, we've been on the stiff upper lip. I don't think you have to be stiff upper, stiff upper lip about it. I can't even say it as an American. <laughs> um, but you could, 
say like that sucks. It would have been great if I could have done more. And I have all this opportunity now. What can I make of it? Well, that's brilliant, Rachel. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our chat and I know this will be inspiring for everybody listening. Thank you. A pleasure to be here always. Take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I really enjoyed listening to that. I I know Rachel's story. I know what she's been working on this year and all the kind of events and things that she has put into place. So in a way, none of it was a surprise to me. And yet it's always, every time somebody tells you a story, I find they reveal something else that's different. They reveal another element of it or another layer to it. And I, I just found what was really interesting so far, picked up a little bit on what I was saying last week about how we work really differently and how she really once she has a deadline for something or a reason for doing things, and this is the same as you in your book, that gives us the spur to kind of do it and start to get excited about it and have to do things. And although that feels like it might be an onerous thing and sometimes it can make you busy and you've got a lot to do, there's an energetic oomph that comes with that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And and I found, as I said, when I was talking to her, so inspiring about Rachel that that technology is she always said when I first met her that technology she didn't like technology she she and but the fact that she just jumps in and the fact she was really down and depressed I remember at the beginning of lockdown and she just went no I'm not going to be like this and then she just got on with it and either got help or worked it out herself and did things that I remember she was really scared about she was really really terrified that first time about talking to camera and doing the zooms and will it work and yet doing it anyway and I remember when I was really little my mom saying to me I said I'm sorry for being frightened when she was taking a dressing off when I'd hurt myself and she said being brave isn't about not being frightened being brave is about doing it anyway and I always remember that my mom never had any great words of wisdom but that one really stuck with me and that's what Rachel did she just got on with it anyway and it's really inspiring and she also knows what she needs to do to make it feel okay like she knows that she 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 practices things a lot she she does run through she checks that she knows what she's doing I tend to wing things a little bit more but I only tend to wing things a little bit more because I've probably been through that stage where I've okay I've got to work out how I do a test of this and send it and check that anybody can see things okay and then you know that so give it another year or so and she won't be testing things quite so much it will be something that is part and parcel of what she can do that helps her art and what an you know what amazing results she has had from doing it you know all sorts of things that would never have happened had she not taken those steps which you can't predict at the beginning of the year you don't know what's going to happen so and that's the end result of all of it isn't it really is that you carry on making art that you enjoy and finding different ways to get it out into the world. So it was lovely to listen to. Thank you, Rachel. It's good having a guest, isn't it? It's like, oh, done. We're quick, we're done. Um, it's a bit weird though, isn't it? We've been doing this for nearly two years now, you know. Have we? Yeah. Turning up once a week. Now, that's what Seth says in the book. He t- or he said that on somebody's podcast. He said, you know, if you just commit to something like, he said to the person you've committed to do this podcast so you show up every week because you've committed you don't say I don't feel like it you might not feel like it but you still show up whereas when we're painting we go oh I don't feel like it so we don't do it yeah but if you'd said to me you're going to be doing this podcast and you're still going to be showing up two years from now I would no way have said yes (laughs) (laughs) I would it just shows you you don't think too far ahead just start with where you are and also Louise dropped a little sneaky hint in there we have a fantastic pretty much superstar guest coming on in a few weeks um so you want to make sure that you're listening out for that okay let's go on then what's inspired you or what have you enjoyed particularly about this week well actually it's an enjoyed and inspired um so I don't I've mentioned before 
Ira Glass, who does This American Life, uh, which is a radio show and a podcast. And I never really listened to This American Life, even when I lived in America. And it's been going for years. It's on public radio, which is their equivalent of the BBC. And um, it's an hour long, uh, probably goes on too long, just like us, podcast. They've turned it into a podcast now, as well as a radio show. And it always is in three acts. And it's basically storytelling. And they tell a story of normal life. And I've been binge listening and it's a perfect podcast to discover because there's 700 and something episodes because it's been going on forever. So don't tell people that they're going to listen to that and never listen to us. I know you probably won't because he is just a genius. I I love him, everything about him. I've been watching all his YouTube interviews because he's very inspiring guy as well. But anyway, this particular episode I was listening to as I binge listened was called Kid Logic. And I, highly recommend this and I'll put a link to it in the show notes um, where they just talk about what we believe as kids and the things which seem totally logical to a child which make no sense whatsoever but kind of do make sense this one particular child that they had on he must have been six or seven and he was talking about the tooth fairy and they said where do you think the tooth fairy what do you think tooth fairy does with all the teeth and he was just being a kid like maybe they make a tooth car or a tooth house and the interviewer said a tooth house how many teeth would you need to make a tooth house a hundred a hundred teeth you'd need a hundred teeth and he went why wouldn't the tooth fairy make a house out of bricks like everybody else and the kid went because people don't have bricks for teeth <laughs> it's like <laughs> perfect it makes perfect sense so anyway, um, I love that story. I love listening to the shows, but it's really inspired me because I saw him on YouTube discussing, Ira Glass discussing the podcast, and he was talking about the art of storytelling. And he said, anything is made better by a story. If you want to market something, tell a story. Don't, if you want to write a newsletter, tell a story. An email, tell a story. It's always better than anything else any other way of communicating and I I was thinking about my newsletters and all the things I could improve if I just took the time to think of a story and we do it a lot on here we tell stories but I don't necessarily do it in my blog posts or in my newsletters as much as I could so anyway um, I recommend it though this American Life after you've listened to Art Juice every week make sure you've listened to us first and then go binge on that I think the storytelling thing can be difficult, though. Um, I have a hangover from not enjoying writing English stories at school. You mean it can be difficult to tell stories if you don't know how? I think it can can become one of those things that you know you're supposed to do it, but you don't know where to begin or how to start. And again, you you feel like it grows into something that's a bigger task than you've got the capability, capability for. There's a really good book, too, by Donald Miller called Building a Story Brand that if you would like help with um, stories, uh, it's is about clarifying your message. It is a marketing book, but I think it's just a really good one to to read and to understand, even if you don't go through all the steps and kind of principles that he he lays out for you, even just in conversations with people. I think it's it's a good read and quite enjoyable. So that is one to add for you guys. Um I have had, I've been inspired this week by, well, actually one one thing really excited me this week, totally not art related at all, but really, really interesting is I had a little bit of a break and I turned on the news or something. I was having a late lunch and I got a program that was all about managing floods and floodplains in England. And when we get huge rubber, rubber, when we get huge river runoff and with lots of rain and it goes through and it floods towns and there was a farmer and he had this river that flowed through his field and he had quotes for setting up dams and it was going to cost hundreds of thousands of pounds to do and to maintain and he suddenly thought there has to be another way of doing this do you know what he got he got a beaver (laughs) explain talking of mrs slocum's pussy he got a be he got a beaver in and you have to get i think a special license in england to introduce a beaver but the beaver naturally built dams in this river that created a series of 
dams the river expanded behind them into these pools so that there was a whole sequence if you like of kind of tiered levels to this river so that when the water came in a rush it had somewhere to go to and it didn't all wash downstream and flood the town at the bottom and it was all done by this one beaver and it was absolutely magical I'm afraid I can't tell you the program I can't give you a link to it but the, the power of what one little thing can do when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing was just Didn't get a lady beaver as well or was just one beaver well towards the end there wasn't a new beaver that was being introduced I think came along and everybody okay. was watching it but I mean to, it was it's some construction feat yeah. this little amazing <laughs> it was really really amazing so totally not art related but just little things that fire you up um I'm just starting to get excited about next year actually creative wise like I say I have an empty studio at the moment and I am starting to think about how I am going to manage and really enjoy a next creative flow there are some things that have been on my creative to-do list for quite a long time that I never seem to get round to doing so I'm going to give myself more of a structure in order to do that, to make sure things happen. I want to welcome more things in, different things in. I don't want to just turn up and paint in the same way. So I'm going to work out a really nice way of making sure that next year it's different. Quite excited about that. That is good to see you excited. You can see you've, had, you've had some fed up moments recently, yeah. you know, in this year. And so it's nice to see you feeling really fired up and ready to go as Barack Obama said once <laughs> I just realized I sounded like his campaign slogan that's what he used to say fired up ready to go <laughs> well I just think it's reflective of you know we do have these ups and, and everybody knows this year has been a weird year it's difficult to find enthusiasm for something when you don't feel enthusiastic about it so you've got to kind of work it backwards haven't you you've got to work out where your enthusiasm comes from what you are actually excited about and then the enthusiasm you know flows by itself so I was looking back through some old notes and from old sketchbooks I was thinking why have I never gone back to that why has that never happened so I'm going to just try and do that make make that um, a more deliberate part of how I create next year it always happens when I finish a group of work there's always a right okay I've done that and this this series a lot of it was about working a little bit softer um and now I'm ready for something different. So that's coming up next. So this time last year, some of you were involved. We did a free week long, your best art year ever. That was all about planning for 2020. Ah. And then 20, <laughs> 2020 came along and kicked our butt. But what we thought that we might like to do is next year, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those ideas that come up in as you're planning for your year ahead. And we're also going to review and talk about our year and what happened for us and what we learned from it. So with that and our fantastic secret guest interview, we have got some cracking episodes ahead. So do make sure that you're subscribed. We love it when you share the podcast. That's how we get new listeners and how we can kind of spread this out to people who enjoy listening. And if you do enjoy listening, we'd love it if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a review because that also helps new people find us. And we are more than happy, despite the joke at the beginning, to also hear feedback. So if you think the podcast is too long, or too slow <laughs> do let us know that too if you've got particular ideas about the podcast or things that you would like us to discuss you can also let us know that as well you go to bit.ly slash art juice q just the question mark q and you can find the link for that in the show notes we will see you again next week thank you for joining us for another time have a happy week painting bye-bye bye No, I can't understand time and space. Although I was listening to Brian Cox on the radio the other day and he said there is no such thing as time and space.
Well, he said, we don't understand any of it, basically. We don't understand even what time and space is. So if Brian Cox doesn't understand time and space, there's not much chance for us. No, we can just... Most things, actually, I've decided, you're better off if you don't try and understand them too much. Just get on with what you... Get on with what you can do in the way that you can. And it... Brian Cox went to school with... Went to the same school as Phil and had the same physics teacher as Phil in Oldham. And uh, I said, well, what happened? 